Hi, everyone. Today is a special day in our church's history because both church online and church in person are watching the same thing. Now, I always preach the same sermon, but today... Uh, Janelle and I are off celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary, and so I am not at church in person. They are actually watching a video, and I decided that it would be a good opportunity to let our church family experience this, watching uh, a sermon by video while also experiencing all the other aspects of in-person worship, like listening to the band or having uh, in-person fellowship like they usually do. And the reason why I think this is important is despite my typically small thinking, I believe that God would have us start new churches one day. And one strategy that we have is potentially having in-person meetings in different towns, but also using a video sermon. And so I, I know that we're not the first people to think of that. Other churches are already using this kind of method, but I would like to see how this works out within the River Church context, according to our vision, mission, and values. And so with that, Last week, we started a new series titled Finding Life in the Psalms. And over the next few months, we're going to be exploring the Psalms and allowing them to teach us how to live for God. And today, we're going to discuss how to find life when we've messed up when we have ruined our lives because of our poor choices, when we have actively and willingly sinned or rebelled against God. Has anyone struggled with this question before? Well, if so, let's read today's psalm and see what it says. And it starts off this way. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. 
This Psalm of David, who was king of Israel, is pretty intense. I don't know if you noticed that, especially in the beginning. But if this was your first time hearing it, your first time reading it, you may ask the question, whoa, 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 why is it so intense? What's going on here? What has happened? Well, the title of Psalm 51 is a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And if you don't know that story, let me briefly retell it. There was a season when King David was not where he was supposed to be. It was a time of war and he should have been with his army, but for whatever reason, he stayed home. And when he did, he began an inappropriate relationship with a woman named Bathsheba. And she was actually the wife of one of his soldiers. And things got really bad because Bathsheba got pregnant. And to make a long story short, David's plan to cover up this relationship didn't work as planned. And he ended up killing Bathsheba's husband. Now remember, this was the same David whose reputation was a man after God's own heart. It doesn't really seem like he's that man, especially when we discover that a year later, we find David just chilling in the palace like nothing happened. And that's when the prophet Nathan steps in. Check out the story. 2 Samuel 11 says, When the period of mourning was over, David sent for Bathsheba and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. And David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And when David was confronted and thought about what Nathan had said, his response was, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. And it's this story that inspired the intensity of Psalm 51. This is David's personal response to God's mercy. It's a poetic summarization of how he found life after he had messed everything up. And look at what verse 13 says. David writes, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. I love that David's not just sharing 
the story of how God saved him, but he's being used by the Holy Spirit to teach others how to find life in the same way. This this psalm is intended to instruct us on how to find life when our bad decisions have ruined it. And it gives us steps to making things right with God. Like when we mess up our lives, the first step is to repent. Now, repentance means to turn around and head in the opposite direction. And in the context of scripture, it means turning from sin and walking towards God. And that sounds like a pretty easy step, but unfortunately, we human beings don't like simple, at least not spiritually. We like to make things complicated. I mean, think about the times where you have messed up. Do any of these complicated responses that I'm about to share sound familiar? Like when you mess up, do you ever try to justify your sin or your wrongdoing? Like you have these big mental or maybe even verbal court trials in your mind with yourself or maybe with others as they're confronting you with your sin and you're arguing things like, you know what, my sin isn't that bad or you know what, the sin that I did, everybody does that. Or or maybe you have uh, some sort of authority like, like David and you're like, oh, I'm the king, I'm allowed to do things like that. Or maybe you try to be theological and, and, and sliver your way past, past God's judgment by saying, you know what, God is love, right? I mean, that must mean that he doesn't care how I live, especially since I've heard that God's love is unconditional or even that Jesus died for all sin. So, so why do I got to worry about it? Whatever it is, we, we tend to spend massive amounts of energy weaving complex arguments to justify our wrong actions or our wrong living. And over that year, I'm sure David did the same. Do you ever find yourself doing stuff like that? Or maybe you're like David and you try and hide the sin. Now, this doesn't sound complicated either, but anyone who's tried to cover up their sin knows it ain't that easy. Plus, it never works out the way that we intended it. And like David, we are forced to implement complex strategies to keep them hidden. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Well, maybe you've done something like this. You just flat out deny your sin. That also sounds simple, but somehow that sin that we deny we ever did or deny ever happened just keeps popping up in our mind. We don't know why. And so we have to actively uh, repress those thoughts to stay in denial. And then it even becomes worse when people like Nathan dig up the past. And as I'm thinking about those things, I'm, I'm tired just from talking about it. Because living with sin is not simple. It is complicated. And that's what David lived with. And yet the reality is, and this is what David discovered, that all God wanted was simple repentance for him to turn around and cry out, have mercy on me, O God. Cleanse me from my sin. I have messed up, God, and I need your help. And that's all that God wants from us as well when we mess up our lives. And so how, how do we keep our lives this simple? How do, how do we make sure that we simply respond with simple repentance? Well, one of the simplest things we can do is hear God's word. 
You know, the book of Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word has this supernatural ability to dig into our hearts and then break us down. And godly brokenness leads to repentance. That's what happened when Nathan spoke God's word to David. You know, I wonder before that moment if, if David actually spent a year avoiding Nathan. Like every time Nathan came around, David was like, oh, snap, no, oh, no, Shh, hide. And then the, and the palace servants were around him and Nathan comes in, hey, where's David at? And David's like behind the scenes, hey, tell him I'm not here, I'm not here. Tell him I ain't here. I mean, think about if that was true at all. Well, I don't know what it is. I'm just making it up. But think about it. You know how difficult it would be to try to hide from the prophet of God? Because Nathan would just be like, hey, Lord, where's David at? And be like, David's over there. And for a year, David is, is like playing the, the most intense and complicated game of hide and seek with Nathan the prophet. And each time he tries to hide it and Nathan finds him, he is like, how does he know where I am? Well, he knows where you are because he's God's prophet. But finally, as we read that, you know, there does come a point where Nathan catches up to him. And when he does, despite what David might think would happen, everything becomes simple. God's word is spoken, and the simple word produces repentance. And I wonder about us. How do we respond to our wrongdoings? Do we run from God when we mess up? Do we make things difficult? Well, let me encourage you, don't make things difficult. Simply listen to God's word. And the way that you can do that is as simple as showing up on Sunday or showing up to a life group or a D group or, or, or tuning into church online or, or listening to the podcast of the sermons uh, on your way to work. Or maybe even just committing to opening up the YouVersion Bible app each morning. Whatever it is, make it simple. Simply listen to God's word and he'll do the rest. He will do the rest. Now, another thing we can do is to be humble. Or one way we define humble or being humble is to see ourselves according to God's truth. And before David repented, he wasn't humble. He thought his sin was justified because he was king. And he thought his sin wasn't a big deal because, you know what, all the, all the kings did that. This is culturally acceptable. And so I'm just going to let this slide. In his pride because of who he thought he is or, or what he thought instead of what God thought, his pride, all that pride, it, it caused him not to repent. But yet, look at how humility changes his perspective. Because in verse 4, when he's humble... He says, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil. When David was humble, he saw his sin was a big deal. He had personally sinned against God. That all sin is personally and directly against God before anything else. And he also saw that his sin wasn't just something that he could justify by saying, oh, this is culturally acceptable. No, we got to answer to God. And when we see Sin as it is in our humility, we're actually going to see it this way. We're going to see that it's evil. 
Sin is evil. And then verse 11, David writes, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, the consequences of sin had separated David from God. You know, the ancient Near East may have accepted, the culture that he lived in may have accepted David's actions, but God did it. And in pride, David didn't see that, but in humility, he saw how far he had gotten from God. And then verse 5 says, Behold, David's like, I, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He realized that it didn't matter if he was king. What, what really mattered was that he was a sinner, and he had been a sinner from birth. And it's all of these things and these types of things that, that David is able to see in his humility that allows him to also see that he had a radical need for God to help him. And only in humility did he see himself according to God's truth. And the same is true for us today. When our lives are messed up, we find life by first being humble. It's only then that we will see ourselves, that we will view ourselves honestly according to, to God's truth. And we won't try to pretend that everything is perfect. And we won't try to maybe even make up for wrongdoings because when we're operating in pride, sometimes that, that'll be one of the steps that we will implement into our lives. Pride will try and make us uh, do things that'll make up for the bad things that we do. Like, like, let me just do a bunch of good things to make up for my sin. And let me just tell you, that won't work. And God won't accept it. God doesn't want that. Psalm 51, 16 says, For you, God, will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. God doesn't care about that. What God wants is, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God wants Humility, because humility leads to repentance and repentance leads to grace. And that's really what God wants to give because James 4 tells us God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And that brings us to step number two. Step number two is we need to not only repent, but we got to be willing to receive God's grace by faith. It's not just about repentance. We need forgiveness. We need to be made right with God. We need God's grace to save us so that we can be transformed into the person that he has created us to be. David said in Psalm 51, 6, Behold, you, God, delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And then verse 12 says, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then verse 15, oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. That, that's the kind of person that God desires us to be. People who are truthful and wise and joyful and obedient worshipers. You know, it makes us also realize that sinners need God's grace for that kind of radical transformation. And, and without God, that kind of change is impossible. It's impossible. It's something that we can't accomplish on our own. We have to receive that. We can't achieve that. 
And when I think about David, you know, what I find that is special about him is that he had faith to believe God for the impossible, even if he didn't understand how God's promises would happen. For example, he knew that in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, that God had made a promise to save the world. God had uh, said in Genesis 3, I will put enmity, it's speaking to the serpent who had caused Adam and Eve to sin, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is a a little bit confusing just to read this verse uh, isolated, but what what it is talking about is that God was mysteriously saying, one day I will send a savior to make everything right. And then if we were to read a few chapters over to the following story about Noah and the ark and how the ark was going to save his family from the judgment of God, which came in the flow in the form of a flood. When we study that, what we would see is that also mysteriously foreshadowed God's future savior. And then fast forward a couple more chapters and we'd come to the story of Abraham. And in Genesis 12, 3, God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And again, it's a a hidden, a cloaked, a mysterious promise about the savior that's found to Abraham. And then we move to Moses. And Moses got a glimpse of God's salvation during the Passover when God said, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt, which did specifically speak to the circumstances of God saving Israel while they were in Egypt. They put the blood on the doorpost and, 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 the, and, the, and the spirit of death came and passed over them so that so that their firstborns wouldn't die. But it also mysteriously pointed to God's future Savior and what he would do for us. And then God gave a direct promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, where it says, when your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers and I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, which again speaks mysteriously of a future savior. And the reason why I mention all of these, the reason why I keep saying mysteriously is because although God's promise to save people from their sin has been around from the beginning, David didn't really know what that meant or how it would happen. You know, the book of Hebrews, speaking of men like David, says all these people of faith earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. None of them understood how God would save them, how they would be transformed into the the restored children of God. Nevertheless, by faith, they believed God anyways. I think that is amazing. And in verse one, I think we see David's amazing faith because he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David didn't know how God would save him from his sins, how God would transform him, but by faith, he trusted God and he simply received God's grace, his undeserved favor and love and transformation and salvation. 
God's promise to save and transform us has always been about receiving his grace. Adam and Eve didn't deserve to be saved. They ruined the world with their sin, but God gave them grace. Noah didn't deserve to be saved. After the flood, what did he do? Genesis 9 tells us that he planted a vineyard, got drunk, and laid around naked. But God gave him grace. Abraham didn't deserve anything. There was nothing outwardly special about him. Plus, his life was filled with bad choices. But God gave him grace. And Moses was a murderer with a bunch of mental health issues like, like depression and anxiety and suicide. And so he was, he was just like us in many ways. But God gave him grace. And David, as the king of God's people, Israel, didn't deserve anything, especially as we read, he messed, it, messed up everything God had built for him. But David understood God's heart. He knew that the path to new life was found through repentance and receiving God's grace. And that's the point of this psalm. If you have messed up, you can find new life by repentance and receiving grace by faith. Now, we do today have an advantage over David and the Old Testament saints. It's because we do understand how God saves us by faith. It's through Jesus. We know that John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When David said, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, he didn't know how that would happen. But we know that on the cross, Jesus blotted out our sins. Colossians 2 says he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. He blotted it out. That This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. And we know that Jesus washes away our sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And we know that the blood of Jesus cleanses us. 1 John says, But if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we know that Jesus is the one who transforms us into something new. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so the question for us is, will you receive God's grace by faith? Now, finally, the ending of this psalm is a little strange. It says, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And so thematically, this, this passage seems a little out of place. And uh, Bible scholars believe that it may not have originally belonged to the passage, but other Bible scholars believe, and, I, and this is the one that I agree with, uh, believe it intentionally paints a picture of prosperity, a picture of life as it was designed to be, flourishing and thriving in the presence of God. 
And I think when we look at it that way, it emphasizes the point of Psalm 51, which again is that we find true life by repentance and receiving God's grace by faith. It's that simple. And so I'm going to call the worship team up now. And today I trust the Holy Spirit is pointing out something in your life. A sin that needs to be dealt with. Like David before Nathan, God's word declares you are that man. You are that woman. And it's time to get right with the Lord. Maybe you've been running or hiding or even justifying sin and it's been too long. And you know that it's not bringing you life. But by God's grace, he has brought you here. In this moment, wherever you are, at home or in person. And he wants you to find life. And all you need to do is repent and receive God's grace by putting your faith in Jesus. Because it's time to return home. You don't need to run and hide. God wants you with him. You know, Nathan wasn't sent to David because God wanted to throw David's sin in his face. No, it's because God wanted David back in his presence. God loved David and God loves you And he has gone to great lengths to bring you back to himself. He has sent his son Jesus to die for you. He has started this this church that, that you are sitting in. And he's putting this message in front of you. And I want, again, I want to emphasize that you don't need to run anymore. You have a home. You belong with God. And all you need to do today is walk through the door. And Jesus said, I am the door. And this psalm... It isn't just for those who have never put their trust in Jesus as their Savior. This this psalm is for everyone, even all of you mature Christians. You know, we never come to the point where we don't need the gospel. We need God to save us every day. You may be a, a royal child of God made right by the blood of Jesus. You, like David, already have a place before the throne of God. But like David, there are also things in your life that God wants to purge. He wants to make clean. Places that have not been fully surrendered. And so this message is for you too. It's for me too. And so let's pray that God would have his way in our heart today. Father, today is all about simplicity. I recognize, we recognize that we are sinners But we also believe there is a great Savior, and his name is Jesus. And so today, we turn from our sin, and we put our faith, our trust in Jesus. And we receive his grace right now. In this moment, we receive everything that you have for us. We receive life as it was meant to be. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, for those of you who are joining us online, thanks for being with us. You know, if it was your first time with us today, let me just say, would you please fill out a Connect card? We want to reach out to you. We want to know that you were with us, but we also want to partner with you. We want to say hi to you. We we want to send a gift to you to thank you for being with us today. And so if you'd like to do that today, you can uh, go to our website, riverchurchct.com and and fill out a connect card there, or you can follow the links in the comments below, or you can even simply text the keyword TRC Connect to 94,000. Have a great day. 
God bless you.